0: This is a monumental day for women in Ireland. This is about women taking their rightful place in Irish society, finally. And we cannot thank
1: everybody enough. And
0: absolutely in this campaign, the
1: experiences
0: of women the trauma that the 8th has caused, the horrors of the 8th, this vote is about a rejection of an Ireland that treated women as second-class citizens. This is about women's equality, and this day brings massive change, monumental change for women in Ireland, and there is no going back.
2: to Don't Stop Repealing, the podcast with a name that is now out of date. This is a very special bonus episode post-repealing. We can stop repealing. Will I say repealing again? <laughs> repealing. It's repealed. I'm Inna Malali And I'm Andrea Horan. Where's that?
3: How are we here? Well, we actually know how we're here. It's all the work done by all of you absolute stunners. You're all amazing and we think it's worth having snaps for every
2: single one of you.
3: And voila, snaps for Grace. Do you
2: see? Today, on this Aftermath podcast, the final one, and we actually mean it this time, <laughs> we're going to go through the highlights of the campaign, what happened at the weekend, uh, some of the bum notes of the campaign. We're going to look at the facts and the figures of the vote and what they tell us about our country and about how people were behaving when they got into the booth. A review of the weekend and and uh, Saturday night and all of the stuff that went on there in Dublin Castle and so on, and a look to the future. What's going to happen now? What's going to happen with the legislation? What's going to happen with the North? And um, what's going to happen with other changes that need to happen? And what's going to happen in the media in terms of reflecting on what's going on in the country? So sit back, as Andrea would say, Papa sec <laughs> and enjoy. Jesus, Jesus.
1: The women in crisis take the boat or take the plane today we say take our
2: hand. now that we can reflect a little bit through the fog of Monday after a weekend <laughs> celebration we're going to take a look at some of the highlights of the campaign Andrea First up and I think this
3: was what really kind of gave everyone in the Yes campaign a really pep in their step and a bit of a boost was the crowdfunding for Together for Yes posters I think that's when it c- kind of became
2: a reality that this is, was maybe going to happen Another highlight John McGurk's combustion on Matt Cooper on Today FM which I'm still enjoying uh, Simon Harris's performance in the primetime debate particularly his kind of outro call to action speech um, obviously Simon Harris is getting a lot of love And rightly so. Yeah. Love him. Fancy
3: him. Uh, (laughs) Sir Shalong on primetime. She was uh, dignified. She was inspiring. And she was everything that Rowan Mullen wasn't with his hideous response to her.
2: Mazur's mural going back up again at Project Arts. That was
3: pretty fab. That was the best day. (laughs) Well, not the best day. One of the best days. John Waters
2: storming out of Dunphy's podcast. Talk to him, my laddie. Fuck off. <laughs> um, I did actually see a couple of people wearing that on a T-shirt. <laughs> and that amused me. Um, meeting so many sound people, meeting so many people on the canvas and, you know, just in the street and in Dublin Castle, just people who are really supporting each other and, It just gave you this feeling of national community, I think.
3: Yeah, it was fab. Uh, Radical queers resist and the repeal angels being absolute stunners and going out of their way to take away some of the grossness off the streets from those pigs.
2: The comments from your man from Sligo for Life about women making tea and sandwiches while they built giant (laughs) sign on a mountain, (laughs) highlighting the ridiculousness of how they viewed women. Cora Sherlock pulling out (laughs) of (laughs) primetime after
3: parading a cutout of Simon Harris around with her, uh, goading him for a debate like it was just the perfect did she actually have a cut out yeah I, I missed uh, that it was so good and
2: then after all that and then she pulled out you know in fairness um, at the count and RDS on Saturday she actually turned up to speak to media um, and then left quite swiftly And, you know, I I am not a fan, of course, Sherlock, and I disagree with, you know, pretty much everything that she says a lot of the time on these kind of issues. But she did actually have the guts to show up. And I think that that is commendable. It was humiliating. um, But I think it also probably speaks more about what kind of infighting was going on in the No campaign that she obviously went on this other solo run to kind of show up and speak to media. So that was interesting. Politicians coming together across parties, you know, it it doesn't actually happen that often. And I do think that people put their affiliations aside. You had Labour party members cheering Mary Lou McDonald. uh, Hugging each other. Yeah, when she came came into the S count. You know, people from Sinn Féin cheering Simon Harris. um, You know, socialists hugging Micheál Martin. Uh, This was really something that, that people put put their their you know party political affiliations aside and just came together for one cause so that is a highlight
3: uh, A big highlight for me was Taryn DeVere's always colourful and joy filled repeal looks her hats her everything she's just she is the joy bringer and that's what she's
2: called on Instagram so I think yay Taryn A late highlight in um, towards the end of the campaign was the mural by the artist Aches that went up with Bernard Shaw in Dublin and became um, you know a, a touchstone for people in terms of pouring out their emotions and showing their appreciation and it's still ongoing right now. People are still leaving flowers uh, outside of their badges, repeal jumpers, their I voted stickers and also putting those yes postcards that came through the door um, onto onto the wall there and, and, and leaving their notes for Savita. So that was just really, really powerful. And I think it shows how dominant um that amazing woman was in our debate and and really how sad it is uh, that she's no longer with us. But hopefully we've done right by her.
3: Uh, The whole of Dublin Castle, the vibe in there was fab. The just, yeah. Wow, I'm very speechless there, haven't I? (laughs)
2: Dublin (laughs) Castle, fab. Brilliant. (laughs) It was amazing, though. Just seeing so many people hanging out and their families and... It was really so emotional. Like, I don't think I saw one person who wasn't already crying or close to tears or about to cry. And that outpouring of relief as um, a cartoon in, in the. Irish edition of the London Times today shows a repeal jumper with the, the text relief written instead of repeal and I do think that's something that people felt and that outpouring was really dominant in Dublin Castle so I think it was good that there was, people were allowed to gather somewhere where they yeah. could just actually let go.
3: It was a bit of a, I think it was a bit of a shame that there was no screens or PA system because I know we weren't they didn't want to celebrate but
2: it was, there was kind of a lack of focus for me personally. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, another highlight, You know, shouting out to all of the grassroots activist groups and initiatives and projects that started during this movement, from the Hunreal issues, the Repeal Project, Exile Project, In Her Shoes, the amazing work that the Abortion Rights Campaign has done over the years, ROSA, Merge, and countless other um, smaller and bigger community groups that came together on on this. You know, it really was a grassroots movement, um, and I just think it's amazing that all of those things came to fruition. So well done, everyone who got involved.
3: And finally, canvassers just being out and out amazing. It was the people who gave up their time in the evenings, the mornings, the weekends to knock on people's doors, to have the conversations and to try and bring people around to the sound way of thinking.
2: Now for some low lights of the campaign. Uh, While it could be said that the entire No campaign was one large, dim low light, there were a couple of points that we just thought, as Andrea would say, (laughs) get in the sea. Andrea. I think
3: some of these lowlights, not even a Peter Mark hairdresser could fix. Uh, <laughs> the polarising bun fight so enamoured by broadcast media and still, even today, it's still happening. It's like putting so- against each other all the time. Why does this have to keep on going? Apart from scraping the barrel for ratings, there's no other reason to me.
2: No. Uh, the Claire Byrne show. That was a lowlight Uh the clapping Mary Butler's final smug zing, the chaos in general the underestimation by Conservative media, the groundswell of support for appeal, we're going to come back to how the media got a lot of stuff wrong later the continuation of the debate around the campaign at the weekend uh, and this morning on places like Marian Finucane and Sean Rourke, which I was on this morning and uh, with you know, a person from the ION Institute because they need more airtime. our time um, and actually in the 9 o'clock news on Saturday there was this really bizarre long interview with some no campaign person Caroline Simmons or whatever and she was just going over the same issues again it's like why are we still listening to your failed offcuts of crap campaign messaging it's done Henny. it's done it's done
3: anything to do with Maddie McGrath Ronan Mullen and Peter Fitzpatrick they can all get in the
2: absolute sea the vile posters from the no side which I think turned a lot of people off
3: Um, Yeah, I think in the end, people like the emotional impact of them at the start was too much.
2: And then you were just like, no, they're in bits. The terror of watching dark ads infiltrate the campaign. There needs to be, uh, we need to take a good look at that. Although at least Ireland resisted the things that um, the Brits in the Brexit referendum and the Americans in the Trump presidential election didn't. I guess that's the positive of having a small country as well. And finally, John McGurk, overall, I think he's the main lowlight, absolutely
3: vile. Let's hope he keeps up his promise to never take a political job again.
2: But honestly, we don't expect him to keep up any of his promises, to be honest. There needs to be a comprehensive analysis, I think, of both campaigns. um, That isn't just shoehorning things into a narrative, which we'll come back to later, and is actually looking at the facts of what happened. That is happening in in bits and bobs. um, So I think we we all deserve to have a clear look at, at what happened over the last couple of months. What a weekend, though. I mean, on Sunday. You sound (laughs) like it's really taking it all out of you, you know? It (laughs) it kind of has. But even on Sunday morning, And on this morning, a Monday morning, recording this on Monday afternoon, I just kept going, I can't believe the Eighth Amendment is gone.
3: Tell the story of your friend in your house at the weekend. It's (laughs) actually so good.
2: So I had some drinks (laughs) in my house on Saturday night and a friend of mine, I walked into the kitchen and she was like opening all the presses and the drawers and the fridge and everything. And I was like, what are you doing? She says... I just can't find it I can't find it anywhere I'm like what are you talking about and she just goes the 8th amendment (laughs) (laughs) zing zing (laughs) I laughed I laughed it was very good but it was a phenomenal weekend it was a tiring weekend it was an emotional weekend it was a weekend where we changed history where we changed the world oh my god I can't believe we've done all those things (laughs) it's going to take a while to process Um, but the absolute highlight of the weekend I think for both myself and Andrea was watching the three co-directors of Together for Yes: Alva Smith Orla O'Connor and Gordon Griffin along with the campaign director, Deirdre Duffy, walk arm-in-arm to the Count Centre. It was just beautiful.
3: was right, all the politicians fell behind and these women who had been instrumental in leading this movement for so long took their stride of pride and solidarity into the awaiting crowds of media. For me it was so powerful for so many reasons, obvious one that we just won a referendum Uh, but it also felt extremely poignant for me as a woman to see these agents of change, these absolute boss bitches be celebrated so effusively Um, and like it was the one point of the campaign that like really made me just stop and start bawling, crying with just overcome with emotion, seeing them walk in. I just thought it was absolutely stunning.
2: I think as well, because so much space was given over to what male commentators thought about the Yes campaign during the campaign and also to male politicians, that this was really like, you know, whatever you guys think, whatever you guys say or whatever people who kind of relate to the party or whatever you want to call it. Th- or, you know how they are. It it was women. You know this is a feminist, non hierarchical, grassroots movement that has been happening for decades. And I think you know all of those women in Together Free Ass all the women in the abortion rights campaign, all of the women in the different um, grassroots organisations uh, around the country. You know this this victory is theirs. You know it's all of ours. But I think women like um, Orla O'Connor and Alva Smith and so on uh, really did us proud. Yeah. <laughs> are the best. Speaking of
3: entrances we kind of touched on it already but Cora Sherlock floated in like a South Park character hovering. She never walks and watch the next time because you'll never be able to unsee it. <laughs> but you have to admire her gumption arriving down on around to the count full of ebullient yes
2: campaigners and we never thought we'd say but fair play Cora. Um, I think what's been really noticeable about the no campaign reaction is that it has been one of anger on um, and, and pettiness and... Um, re- Declan Ganley saying he's not paying taxes. Yeah, I'm like... Uh, uh, can we stop paying you, honey? <laughs> so I think it's really interesting because I think generally when... Um, and uh, a group of people loses a vote. All of this kind of imposed self-reflection and where did we go wrong and we have to apologise to people for not running a good campaign and we need to reflect and what's our base saying and la la la. The no campaigners have done none of that. All of they've done is basically been angry and complained and thrown out these conspiracy theories and you know it would really serve them well to actually sit down and reflect and they need to apologise to their base for the type of campaign that they ran because it was, you know, vicious and it was um, alienating and actually people who are genuinely pro-life and and didn't want abortion in Ireland for their own personal points of view need to be apologised to for how the No campaign just got everything so wrong and didn't represent um, those nuanced points of view but obviously they're not going to do that because um, you know there's so many egos involved there but we will however now go live to the No Campaign HQ (laughs)
3: on the flip side motherfuckers another highlight of the weekend is definitely the I fancy Simon Harris sign in Dublin Castle <laughs> and especially seeing him getting in a picture with it and giving her a kiss oh my god can't cope how did we get to this point I'm delighted we did
2: he certainly got the Fine political points um, which is funny because obviously Kate O'Connell has been in there for, for, for a while advocating for this but um, But yeah, it's interesting to see how Simon Harris is now a feminist hero. (laughs) It's so gas. And actually, now that we're on the
3: um, point of that, we get that the nature of politics is that we all have short memories and it's always those who get things over the final line who get to celebrate most wholeheartedly on that media stage in Dublin Castle on the day. And politicians who have fought to get it on the agenda in the first place are often left behind. As Miriam Lord put it today, Independent TD Claire Daly, a p- politician usually deserving of credit for the part she played, decided to stay away from the castle bun fight. Instead, a number of Johnny-come-lately politicians with a weakness for self-publicity preened and waved from the platform. So we'd like to say thank you. Thank you to Claire Daly. To Ivana Batchik. To Ruth Coppinger. To Labour for flying the flag when no one else cared. To Breed To Breed Smith. To Joan Collins, and also while we're on it, shout out to Joan Collins, a.k.a. Alexis Carrington. <laughs> uh, and I can we also have a moment for the time when Joan Collins was mixed up with the other Joan Collins? I was like that was gas. Contest. That yeah. was amazing.
2: The Joan joke. Collins is like, I would like to clarify, <laughs> I am not a water <laughs> protester.
3: <laughs> oh, sometimes I love the world. To Mick Wallace, uh, to Lynn Ruan, and to Mary Robinson.
2: And Always, to, and to all of the the politicians who've worked on this, who fought against the Eighth Amendment, um, and who've who've worked on removing it since then, um, because we know that we happen to have a a Fine Gael government in power now, and obviously they've done work on on this that is to be commended. But we also know that the roots of of this. Uh, tends to lie with with um, politicians who are very much on the left, who are very much feminist point of view, view and we know that and, and everybody knows yeah. that so uh, may, don't feel bad that you're not getting all the signs about people fancying you in <laughs> Castle. But we are sending you snaps Yes. Yay! More snaps for everyone. More snaps. Um, in studio is somebody who you've probably heard uh, a lot of on this podcast. It's Susie Bennett, who's been working on this podcast since Gecko. Hello, Susie. Hello. <laughs> She's so kind and <laughs> small and gentle. What did you do at the weekend?
0: Um, well, I guess when we heard about the exit poll on Friday night, we were um, sitting at dinner, and I think there was just lots of tears falling onto pizza slices. Yes, um, there Because were. it was unbelievable. Um, and then on Saturday, we went to the RDS, which had a lovely, lovely buzz, um, and seeing everybody around and seeing people that you'd recognize from the street with badges, seeing them all in the same place at the same time in such good, good spirits, high spirits was incredible. And then we went to the... Uh, what was it, the Intercontinental? There was a few speeches there by lots of Together for yes people and canvassers and people involved in the campaign Um, and it was really rousing and Peter Boylan made a perfect speech and it was
2: just, it was a lovely weekend. Um, You're younger than us Susie. Yes. How old are you? I'm 26. 26. (laughs) What does this mean to you and your peers, your generation do you think?
0: Just, I mean I guess it means the same to to every woman in Ireland that has been advocating a yes vote um, and has been fighting for it. It's just bodily autonomy it means respect it means um, that finally we're, we're just being seen as equals we're not the second class um, and it just is is wonderful
2: Amazing Zing Zing What was your highlight of the weekend? Um, you know I think it was actually probably the exit polls coming in because I'd been hearing bits and bobs about um, what they might say um, and I, I was at dinner with Susie and, and, and other friends and I uh, when I saw the, the figure of um, 68% I just like burst into tears I was completely overcome I was totally inconsolable mm. um, inconsolable in a good way um, and uh, I think that really was the moment because then the RTE one came in it was 69 now obviously both of those exit polls were, were a little inaccurate but also um, my girlfriend's complete gloating that she had written 67% down uh, the previous week And if there's one thing Sarah enjoys, it's um, vindication. (laughs) (laughs) So I think she was really happy about that. Um, So just realising the magnitude of what had occurred, that everything that had been against us, um, media narratives that were, you know, conservative or inaccurate or you know, the viciousness of the no campaign or being worried about all these horrible posters or, or all this like social media shit that we couldn't figure out and that we're really scared about or, you know, the church coming out and saying these really heartless things or women's stories being marginalized or protests maybe not being taken seriously. And that was all wrong. And and actually, if, you know, I, I thought it would be 57%. That was my number. I said 62. You said 62. So, you know, both of us were um, sh- short. I mean, I was shorter obviously I know Colin McGorman has said repeatedly that it, he believed for a long time that the margin would be um, higher than the marriage referendum so <clears throat> some people obviously did see the magnitude of it you know I was still blown away by, by the, the landslide of the vote but I guess th- what I'm trying to say is if we did actually step away from our fears um, and look at the thing rationally and if you looked at all the polling that has been happening over the last few years um the experiences canvassing the absolute army of people, thousands and thousands of people around the country canvassing um, if you looked at how engaged Irish people are politically and how we really take very seriously um, votes in this country and take very seriously our constitution and if you looked at how people engage with the issues around the Citizens Assembly and also around the 8th Committee um Yes, it was going to be a landslide. And it's funny how, you know, you can sometimes, even when you are supporting a movement and very much behind it, still um, be influenced by the fears that are perpetuated around that. And I think it's a lesson to just think, no, you know, look at everything rationally um, and, and because the facts were actually in front of us all the time.
3: My taxi driver on the way to the count on Saturday morning was like, "Ah, oh, yes, you're just going to see what's happening because it's already done." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, pretty much." And he's like, "Anyway, I knew that was in the bag. All yous just were too close to it. It was obvious." I was like, "Oh, cool. Thanks for telling me. Bit late now though." <laughs> <laughs> but my highlight for the whole weekend was the absolute gasness at Dublin Castle when I was sitting there and. I have to be honest, I'd taken a few wines, maybe one or two, so I was a bit on the joyous side and I was giving Alva Smith a hook and then my, uh, one of my best pals actually hit me on the shoulder. It was Mihal Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, hey, Andrea. And I was like, oh, hello. And then I realised who it was, and I was like, oh, my God. And I just ga- jumped on top of him and gave him a hug. I think he was like, what is going on here? <laughs> but now that I, it's uh, political correspondent, Al Woods, I mean, Andrea Horan, <laughs> um, it was just so gassed because he was just so flummoxed and just walked off. You're like, uh, OK, bye. <laughs>
2: See you later, Mihal. love you. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> politicians aren't used to the tactile <laughs> nature with which we've approached RM. Um, also, I met Richie Sadler. He was
3: like, so, that's quite a way you have of uh, political interviews, isn't it? <laughs> I
2: was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Actually, another highlight for me, and I much, uh, must mention it, was in the RDS, um, you know, all the media are there, whatever, loads of people from the newspaper. I work for the Irish Times, people from the Indo and the Sindo and... Um, you know all across all all the media Sunday Times and uh, it was really amazing for all of the female journalists like my colleagues that I was meeting that we were just so happy and kind of hugging each other and um, seeing that solidarity at a media level as well was interesting like just I'm not saying that like you know all of the the women who work in the media were were for this referendum or whatever but, um, you know, having those kind of chats and seeing how emotional people like, you know, Justine McCarthy and Lise Hand and different people were, you know, that was really important for me because at times during this campaign I felt quite, um, I don't know, just a little bit marginalised, I suppose, because everything that I've written about this has been often slapped down um, by you know other pe- people online or whatever or by um competing journalists or whatever and you know saying this kind of thing of like that you're you're very much on the fringes if you have this kind of feminist pro-choice point of view and actually what, what this has shown is that my opinions are completely mainstream and that we need more radical voices in the media than me certainly more radical than me and I think that that's something that we need to look to as well but we're going to come Are you coming back, back to, to my political interviewing there? Yeah I am, I'm basically yeah, Andrea Horn for the Radicalized. Ed- editorial ship of the Daily Mail, that's what we're going to do Anyway, now for some facts and figures from the weekend The top 10 yes votes, so at the top was Dublin Bay South I think Dublin Bay South was also the highest um, vote in the con- uh, constituency. That's yes, what vote. my
3: constituency is. Dublin Bay
2: South. Okay, so <laughs> well well done, Andrea. <laughs> Thank you. I think that was the highest yes vote in the marriage referendum as well, Dublin Bay South, I think. Um, Dunleary, which is my hood, 77%. Then we go to Dublin Fingal, 76.9. Dublin Central, 76.5. Dublin Rathdown, 76.1. Dublin South West, 74.9. Dublin South Central, 74.7. Dublin Bay North, 74.6. Wicklow, 74.2 and Dublin West 74. So obviously very Dublin heavy top 10 there, but that's not to take away from um the, how how brilliantly the rest of the country voted. Um the the smallest votes, so you've Donegal which was uh 51.8, now Cavan Monaghan um tomorrow where my dad is from, forty-four point five. Mayo, forty-two point nine. These these don't really matter, I suppose. It's just to, to show that, that I suppose it was uh, there was a slightly higher no vote, um, in rural areas. Um, the turnout, the highest turnout. This is insane. In was in Wicklow, seventy-four point four eight percent. Um, that is just truly remar- remarkable. Um, three quarters of, of the electorate there voting. Uh, Dublin Bay North, massive turnout, seventy-one point six. Dublin Fingal. 70.39, dublin Rathdown, 70, Dublin-Southwest, 68, Dunleary, 68, Dublin-West, 67, and then Cork-Southwest, Dublin-Midwest, Cork-South-Central. So what's really interesting there is um, you know, the amount of, of high turnout that was in Dublin. But curiously, the lowest turnout in the country was Dublin-Central, 51.52, so just half the electorate. That's the constituency I live in, and that's the constituency we were canvassing. And it is quite remarkable because that constituency was completely canvassed at least twice, Um, and also leafleted several times at one of the largest um, canvassing groups in the country so there's a lot of work to be done to engage um, people further in that constituency Um, and considering that's Mary Lee Macdonald's constituency I'm sure that's something she's going to be looking at as well. Dublin Bay South also had a low turnout, 549 And Donegal, a very low turnout as well, 57%. So you'd have to think in in Donegal that there was a lot of abstention uh, because obviously they had a marginally higher no vote there. So I'd say abstention played a role in that too. Um, There was something like, uh, someone was saying to me at the weekend that I think the spoiled votes overall was 6,000 and something. And the spoiled votes in the marriage equality referendum was 13,000 and something. So people really did actually want to vote on this um, so uh, my uh, there, was, there was the tallying the one the box that I voted in from the or the polling station I voted in at the weekend in the RDS in Stony Batter, and uh, the box was ninety two percent yes. Um, there was a Miriam Lord was telling me that there was a joke going around Leinster House uh, during the campaign with Micheál Martin canvassing and stuff, and saying, "Oh well, you know the reaction on the doors in Stonybatter was was great." You know, it just became this kind of euphemism for for liberal Dublin, of course. But those are just some facts and figures to digest. Um, now, the other really important thing to look at here as well is the referendum influencing factors that came out of the exit poll. The number one. Um, Reason that people voted yes was a woman's right to choose. Now, that kind of puts to bed any narrative that people didn't want to engage in this issue uh, with regards to bodily autonomy or a woman's right to choose or anything like that. That was literally the number one reason people voted. The second uh, um, influencing factor uh, of people's vote was the risk to the health of life for the woman. The third was a question of, of pregnancy as a result of rape or incest. Fourth question of fatal fetal abnormalities and then the fifth the right to life of the unborn that would presumably be an influencing factor in a no vote the right to life of those with Down syndrome or their disabilities Um, really low down is the question of trusting politicians to make law on abortion so that kind of big push for that in the final weeks of the no campaign obviously didn't work Um, another influencing factor uh, which is again very small um, at just 12 points was religious views Uh, one point lower than that, the handling of the cervical cancer controversy. Now, the Journal did a poll as well um, about, uh, you know, what influenced people's points of view. And despite the amount of commentary that's happening about the politicians involved and political parties' positions and what this means for the political landscape in party terms, blah, 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 1% uh, voted that politicians had an impact on... um, their votes so that's the, hot, the lowest uh, percentage point that can be shown in a poll so uh, we need to kind of look beyond uh, the party politics infrastructure of this and actually see it as a, as a movement that happened from the people and not from Kildare Street that's what I think should we move on to the future <laughs> <laughs> the future come on
3: let's go woo So where do we go now? What's going to happen? What's going on post 8th is gone? the first things first is awaiting legislation. So Simon Harris has said that legislation should be in by the end of the year um, and he's clearly working to move it as fast as possible and it's going to the Cabinet on Tuesday to ask for permission to turn the draft into legislative text. Uh, This is all well and good. However, we now face a period of limbo, especially for people who need to travel during this period. Um, So we'd urge you to follow and support Abortion Support Network, especially with donations towards helping women with logistics and finances if they need to make that journey. Micheál Martin has also said this morning uh, that he would support a summer sitting of the Dáil to get the legislation through in a timely manner. So people are behind making this move fast, which is brilliant.
2: One of the things that was very noticeable in Dublin Castle on Saturday was Mary Lee Macdonald and Michelle O'Neill holding up a handmade cardboard sign that said the North is next. Some people took that to mean abortion rights, uh, some people <laughs> I took it to well, mean. you know what, came out then on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the drive for United Ireland, which is obviously Sinn Féin's number one um, political goal. Um, but we do need to look to the north.
3: Uh, yeah, focus has been on that a lot for the last few days, especially on Twitter, etc. Um, and there's been reminders that we can't leave the women of Northern Ireland behind. Every day three women are travelling still from Northern Ireland to access safe abortion care as well as the ones who order pills. And actually the impact of the strict law has been felt more harshly up there because women have actually been prosecuted for taking abortion pills. Um, The problem with the North is extremely political Um, and there have been many calls for a referendum but campaigners up there including Alliance for Choice have been pointing out somewhat like you can feel the frustration of them that Northern Ireland doesn't need and doesn't want a referendum. We had to have a referendum obviously um, because it was in our constitution and the only way to change um, a constitution is with a referendum but up in the North it's just legislation Um, and calls have been put in to Theresa May to relax legislation and Stella Creasy Um, who's an MP, wants to force a vote with amendments to her domestic violence bill. However, May has pushed back for fear of upsetting the DUP, who are staunchly anti-choice, but also propping up her government. Um, So I wonder why. Another issue is the fact that the devolved government collapsed in January uh, 2017. So Northern Ireland has been without a Northern Ireland executive for a year and a half now. May is resisting legislation, legislating and some in the North feel it would be inappropriate for her to legislate on abortion rights as this would be a return to direct rule. Um, and her focus apparently is getting on, getting the executive, which has been suspended for more than a year, back up and running. However, campaigners po- have been pointing out that human rights are not a devolved issue, um, and they're also very clear that they don't want the UK's 1967 Act extended into Northern Ireland, as abortion still isn't decriminalised under this Act. There are, however, already 140 MPs who support abortion law reform and there is a call to action from the Fla- Family Planning a- Association, Northern Ireland, London Irish Abortion Rights Campaign, the Alliance for Choice, BPAS, Amnesty Northern Ireland and others to contact MPs and get action. Hashtag now for NI. Gráinne Taggart, who's a Northern Ireland Campaign Manager at Amnesty International, demanded on Saturday that we- Westminster stop turning a blind eye to the situation. Uh, the government needs to ensure that no woman on the island of Ireland is left behind and that women in Northern Ireland can access free, safe and legal abortion at home, she said. So I think the main thing we can do now is listen to our Northern Irish sisters and take their direction um, and support them wherever is needed. And I think, yeah, that's really important right now.
2: I think as well, um, it would be great to see women in, uh, in Britain really come out on the streets for this as well. You know, we've seen a lot of support from um, English women in particular and English women in the media for the for the Republic of Ireland in terms of abortion rights. And so, you know, everybody in, in Britain needs to put pressure on their MPs and stop having, um, you know, uh, what is essentially a part of, of the UK legislatively and otherwise be left behind um, and that goes for marriage equality as well. You know, there is a march on June the second that we in Belfast, FYI. And there's, there's uh, there is public support um, for marriage equality and for abortion rights in the north, and the people in the north are being completely let down by totally dysfunctional slash non-functioning legislature so um that needs to get sorted and Theresa may like just stop fucking sailing people down the river uh because you just have the dup propping you up like it's so vile and the fact is there was just such a missed beat when um the dup got that little foothold in power um you know you, never know, you never know what could happen actually because if something came forward that, that got enough support from MPs um, in the UK with regards to uh, abortion rights or also marriage equality, it could actually collapse the UK government because the GOP would pull their support. So maybe... Uh, Poli- politics is so political, isn't it? Politics is political, <laughs> <Andrea>. Who knew? <laughs> Inside of the day. <laughs> Amazing. You're fucking right, though. Um, if only there was less politics in politics. Dead right. So... One of the other aspects that emerged at the weekend was the fact that Donegal, by a very narrow margin, did vote now. And we wanted to tease this out on, on the show today, so we are going to talk now about that with Declan Meehan, who is a canvas lead for Letterkenny County Electoral Area and for Donegal, together for yes.
1: Hi, Anna. How are you
2: feeling after the weekend?
1: We are feeling, I mean, I'm feeling absolutely brilliant. I think we uh, did a great job in Donegal. We're very happy with that. And we're obviously absolutely delighted and blown away by the national result, uh, which was, you know, obviously it's been called a landslide and seismic and extremely historic for all the right reasons, because that's exactly what it was. So we're very happy with the part we played in that, and we're very happy with the result we actually got in Donegal.
2: Um, I was talking to somebody, another canvasser from Donegal earlier, and she was saying that if... um, you guys hit 45%, that would have been a 45% yes, that would have been a huge uh, win really I suppose given the the political and social context up there in terms of how the county tends to vote on these issues um, and obviously you got 48. Um, has it been difficult yep. to be the, the one constituency that didn't um, vote vote yes?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is difficult, um, and it, it was rather disappointing, but I think that, I mean, I think that our expectations, we had been managing them a lot, like a lot better up until the exit poll was released. Um, as you say there, you're talking to one, one of the other guys on the team, and we were, when we started, we were like, if we got 40%, that would be great. If we got 45%, that would be such a huge victory for us. And the fact that we ended up with 48%, was amazing and we are so pleased with that but I think it was difficult to kind of keep that in context as you saw the rest of the country, you know, very decisively voting in favour of it Um, so it was easy to kind of get distracted and easy to forget that that was actually our aim when we started out
2: yeah, and I mean, a yes vote in Donegal um, counts the same as a yes vote anywhere else in the country. Absolutely. I mean, can you um, bring me through some of the difficulties that you guys had with canvassing? Because online afterwards, you had the usual kind of careless remarks about like, oh, for fuck's sake, Donegal, blah, blah, blah. But people not really getting yeah. the context um, of, of canvassing up in Donegal, the logistics, of canvassing up there, and also how the electoral boundaries basically kind of take away a section of the county because overall the county did vote yes.
1: Exactly, yes yeah. So that's probably a good place to start on that. Uh, we lost a corner of southwest Donegal in the last boundary redraw, uh, which basically is Ballyshannon, Bundorn, and Ross Nala So they had between the three of them returned a 63% yes. Uh, so that, that obviously added to our difficulty. Um, and in terms of the logistics of canvassing in Donegal, um, it was difficult just on a purely geographical basis to begin with because it is quite a rural-based population. Um, and even when we were canvassing the kind of the medium or middle-sized towns like Dunsanehy, Chrysler, Remelton, Kilmacrain, and those kind of places – there's not a huge amount of housing estates where you can easily canvass a town in one week. You know, you could do Letterkenny kind of, obviously it took us several weeks to get Letterkenny done, but to do those towns, you know, it took a lot of time. So it was an awful lot of uh, people hours spent canvassing very few houses compared to other urban centres, um, which would, you know, I suppose, be been more efficiently canvassed. So that was something that we were up against. Um, also, I think, which was extremely unhelpful for us was that we didn't have, a, we had we had uh, three of our te- or two of our TDs who had come out in favour of the Yes vote, which was absolutely fantastic to have that support. Um, and I think that, you know, anyone that you're going to talk to from the Donegal Together for the Yes campaign is always specifically going to mention Thomas Wengel because he was absolutely brilliant in supporting us and he was out canvassing every day. Um, But, you know, the notable absence from the campaign here was uh, Government Minister Joe McKee, um, who at Fine Gael today, who, you know, wasn't out on the ground for us and certainly wasn't calling for a yes vote um, Mm. in any kind of uh, major sense. So that, I think, if we had that, would have brought, you know, those kind of undecided voters, maybe from the Fine Gael background, over the line, and that would have helped us win it. So I think that's also something that was significant a significant
2: challenge that we had to deal with um, My girlfriend Sarah who's from Donegal from Falkara, Northwest West Donegal she was talking to her dad at the weekend and he said that if there was a ballot box in Perth Donegal would have voted yes What challenges yeah, are you exactly. guys seeing up there in terms of um, how Donegal finds it hard to mobilise a youth vote because a lot of the youth vote has emigrated or is voting in other parts of the country
1: Absolutely, I mean, you know, that that's the the basic truth of it is that we don't have a huge youth vote here in Donegal because unemployment is incredibly high, particularly among those aged between eighteen and twenty-four, even up as far as uh, the under thirties. So there is there are problems here with regards to keeping young people in the county. There isn't a huge uh, prospect for people to have you know, well-paid, uh, meaningful, good jobs that people want to do. So we do have a high level of emigration um, and youth migration to other parts of the country. Um, I mean, I moved back to Donegal just last year. I was lucky to be able to do that. Uh, but so many of my schoolmates, so many of the people I know from, you know, living in Dublin from Donegal are still living away. So it is a huge challenge um, for for us to get that youth vote out because it's not there in significant numbers as as much as it is in other parts of the country. Um, I guess, you know, we are lucky that we have an institute of technology in the town, but even with that, the time of year, people have left. There's also a, a huge number of students who actually study in other parts of the country. So, yeah, I, I think it's a really good point to make, that if there was a ballot box for Glunny's All in Paris, we would have voted yes because there's so many of our young people who are living in other parts of the country and other parts of
2: the world. Well, hopefully um, the conversations that are coming out about this will help people understand the nuance of, of how different counties are, are very different. I mean, it's easy for for me to be, you know, canvassing cottages and stony batter as opposed to you driving over the highways and byways and mountains up there. So <laughs> I think from... Um, just on behalf of everyone who's listened to this podcast you know to thank the people who were canvassing in Donegal so much for the hard work that was done on the ground you did your county and country proud and you know we're you know the the movement is called together for yes so just to thank you for your for your work up there well done
1: absolutely thank you very much and an opportunity maybe to thank all the support that we've gotten over the past few days because has been overwhelmingly positive from people all over the country congratulating us and thanking us for our work and it means a lot so thank you to everybody across the country who worked together for us.
2: Nice one Declan, take care.
1: Thanks Ina. bye bye.
3: Another thing that's come up is uh, with all the stunning work from Transparent Referendum Initiative uh, shining a light on the problems with self-regulation of social media giants and the lack of fact-checking in campaigns um, is the fact that it's clear we need reform with a full-time electoral commission. And maybe it's time to get rid of posters and campaigns. Could we
2: bring that rule in? Yeah, I mean, different county council. It's an. I think our close said no. Yeah, but then yes, I think it's an issue for <laughs> county councils. Actually, you can ban posters. So, but maybe there can be something done across the board, or maybe people should put pressure on their councils to but ban that, posters. But I think
3: if we had the electoral, electoral commission that, who could make rules ongoing, that was a full time commission, and mm. um, things like that wouldn't just pop up at the last minute when the campaign starts. I think it's, yeah. we
2: really need that full time. Another thing to look at in the future is um, obviously the online regulation in terms of political campaigning, uh, something that is going to be a very hot button issue. And do you know what? In some ways, the government is really, really lucky that more crazy fuck ups didn't happen online because it was already a lot of stuff which needs to be unraveled about what actually happened. Um, Again, Transparent Referendum Initiative did really good stuff on that, as did various journalists and and different commentators such as Gavin Sheridan. So that really needs to be examined now. Uh, Media reflection.
3: Media needs to examine whether it is really connecting with what's going on with the people of Ireland or if it's coming
2: straight from Kildare Street. So this is something I think that is an issue across media that needs to be addressed after this. Um, And also I think people should challenge the media and establishment narratives that are already emerging. This idea that nobody saw this coming. Yes we did. You know people mightn't have seen the the gravity or the landslide win but but people knew that this would pass and we knew it was coming because people have been fighting it for years. Um, Leo Varadkar's comment that it was a quiet revolution you know I kind of would contest that because I feel like it was a very loud revolution there's been protests organised by the abortion rights campaign for years maybe it was quiet because uh, establishment politicians weren't listening but um, I think a lot of people have been shouting about this for 35 years there was a lot of frustration about that online over the last few days yeah Um Fine Gael politicians weren't the harbingers of change it's important really important to remember that we know that the Labour Party in particular let's say for the protection of life during Pregnancy Act had to really fight to get that across the line we also know that the vast majority of people who've been driving this politically have been very much people on the left Um, and challenge the idea also that that you know one orthodoxy is being replaced by another this is a victim stance that a lot of people on the no side are going to take that all of a sudden they're silenced or you know they're being oppressed or they're uh you know victims in this in this um whole whole scenario when in actual fact freedom is replacing oppression everybody is entitled to their opinions um but you're also not entitled to saying you know random lies or or misleading people um and everybody in a in a you know, decent democracy um, should have room to discuss things. Uh, you know, in in the best way that we can, in the most respectful way that we can. It's really difficult to listen to the No campaign people now talk about, you know, being silenced or being victims when they will not at all own up to how they ran a campaign and and how like all of the stuff that happened online and all the platforms they have. Yeah, exactly. So I just think when people say that, to you, I mean, it was said to me this morning on on Sean O'Rourke work um, by. Uh, some got John Downing from the from the Indo, who's really angry at me. You know, it's like some liberal you are, and it's like I am literally just challenging the bullshit that has happened in the media with how the Iona Institute has been platformed, so much so, completely unrepresentative of of, of most people. You know, Can, like if there's seven hundred and something thousand people who voted now why why can't other people represent? those people and not uh, you know this group of people who nobody really knows how they're funded why they have all this access to the media and so on so anybody who says that somehow people who fought for women's rights and advocated for freedom have any interest in oppressing other people is full of shit
3: and bits but finally what do people really need to do People really need to not get in the sea. Well, maybe. Get in the sea and get a tan, yes. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs some rest. Everyone's worked so hard to get this over the line and everyone deserves a break. In particular, we think of all the parents in TFMR who had to tell their trauma over and over again. The women who share their stories and canvassers. And some of those women are all three. Um, So we want to say everyone get in the sea and get a tan and spend
2: the week popping some Prosec. I can't believe that we did it, but I also can believe that we did it. Every single person who got out there to effect change, to have a conversation, to have a yes vote, well done. We've actually changed the country. We've changed the world. It's just absolutely amazing. I'm so happy to be Irish.
3: Oh, me too. I also keep thinking this is the one sentence that really resonates with me at the moment. It's like absolutely nothing has changed, but absolutely everything has. Every time I was walking around, that's all I could keep feeling all the time.
2: It's amazing. So this podcast was created and hosted by Andrea Horan and Una Malali. produced by
1: Oh, me? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's me
2: Andrew <laughs> sexy voice Castaway Media and research by Susie Bennett <laughs> thanks to Sarah Fox the design Elaine May for the beautiful tune and you for listening a lot of people have asked us if we're going to do another podcast after this we're going to take a long break <laughs> long break and maybe talk uh, start having have a few drinks and uh, wouldn't be like us <laughs> <laughs> and maybe think about what we could do in the future um, that would that we would get paid for right. which, would, which would be nice oh, getting paid so gas <laughs> so you know watch this space but also you might be watching it for a little bit of a while because we need to just chill for, for or get back to our actual jobs
3: <laughs> actual jobs what are they
2: <laughs> well thank you so much for listening and um, we really appreciate it and for all the feedback we are really happy and glad that we could provide a platform and uh, just a bit of a cheerful voice over the last 12 weeks this is our 13th episode lucky for some so for the last time we can, we can finally, finally stop repealing. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Yay! You go for a drink. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Repealing, your weekly pro-repeal fuck. <laughs> <laughs> your weekly pro-repeal book. <laughs> we got
3: the bloops. You have a good voice. I know. <laughs> Someone said you have that AMSR voice. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice.
2: Hello. on May 13th dogs for choice repeal walkies that's happening at Sandy Brown Strand in Dublin at noon it says here you don't have to bring a dog if you just want to come along that might be perceived perceived to be a little bit creepy no? creeping on dogs Um, is that (laughs) that a thing? (laughs) is that a thing? let's do that again
3: Alrighty, speaking of influencers, we have the gorge James Cavanaugh with us today. Woo! Hello. Hiya. Um, sorry, can we put in a song there?
2: <laughs> I'm wearing no makeup and no bra. What is. Um, so, and- Andre is here as well. So. Hiya. Yeah.
0: How are you?
2: We're great. Is this good enough quality, do you think? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, but if it was off video, would it be better? No, not really.
0: Okay. It's just a, it's Who are
2: you? That's
0: uh, Andrew. I'm Andrew, the producer. Hello. Yeah. I didn't hear anything you said up to now. Don't worry.
2: WAPRA! <laughs> yeah. I'll just do media shenanigans really quickly. Okay. And now, too many...
3: <laughs> what is wrong with us today?
2: This podcast is created and hosted by Andrea Horwin.
3: This podcast... So that's it. No more yearning a la Charlotte
2: up to the. Sorry. Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Repealing, your weekly pro repeal podcast. For run...